All right, we're going to take a change of pace now. We're going to talk about something that's uh, it's kind of, I wouldn't say rocked the sports world, but it's definitely been a, ooh, I definitely didn't see that coming. Tim, in the year 2020, of all the sports to pull, no punches. NASCAR was not on my 2020 bingo card, all right? And in 2020, NASCAR is pulling no punches. Yeah, it's a little surprising. Um, I don't have to go into it, but just by saying the phrase NASCAR, it draws a certain sort of connotation for most people who associate the fan base and the sport and what that generally means. Um, I think you and I both talked about it a little bit. I don't think that's particularly accurate. And I think coming from an ownership and leadership standpoint, they're starting to show that that's really not the case. Um, just in 2020 alone, you had the top driver was indefinitely suspended for dropping a racial slur during a broadcast of a virtual race. Um, odd timing for it. Uh, you're here trying to keep your fans entertained and engaged and help grow the fan base by mixing the video game world, which we've talked about a, a ton, and your regular audience, and then choosing that as a time to let that slip, as you said, probably not ideal. Then they moved on from there and thought, you know, hold my beer. Let's just ban the Confederate flag from all events, which the two of them have sort of gone hand in hand as long as I can remember. I grew up in an area where we had a small racetrack up in the Oxford Plains Speedway where almost every major racer that made it to NASCAR at some point or another came through there. And driving by on race night, the amount of Confederate flags hanging off of the RVs was a sight to see. There was there was definitely a lot of them. So to see them take a stance and, and just nix that uh, because of the modern you know social and political climate, I think is a pretty bold move compared to what a lot of leagues are doing and not something that you really saw. Then continued on and you had Daryl Bubba Wallace who decided to get his car custom painted with a Black Lives Matter logo. Uh, he's an African-American driver, one of very few minority drivers in NASCAR at the moment. Uh, NASCAR allowed it. I think it's a perfect expression of freedom. We're always talking about you know, other sports and their fan base, talking about freedom of speech and everything, and I think that was a great representation of it. You also had sort of the, the counter-protest if you will, with Kyle Weatherman, he drove a car that was adorned with support for Blue Lives Matter. Now, he did come out and say that he just respected uh, first responders, firemen, things like that, that he did think that black lives did matter. He thought that it was important conversation, but he also wanted to make sure that first responders are represented. You can kind of question the timing of it a little bit right now because the counter-protest of Black Lives Matter tends to be all lives or blue lives matter and the fact that the local police departments and, and and government policing agencies tend to be the big target of what a lot of these conversations are another one of those where i guess we might may question the timing or it's tough if you just see it but if you listen to the speech and the things he or if you listen to the interviews and things like that yes the optics are bad but the thought process that he gave behind it some are respectable i don't know how firefighters and, and first responders or firefighters necessarily translates to blue lives matters i think there's a difference there but that's that's all opinion but you gotta res if you respect one for voicing their opinion you know bad optics are good optics you have to you have to respect the other one Later, even after that, and then we're still on NASCAR for anybody who's following, Ray Cicerelli came out, take a stand, and said he was retiring from the sport through the direction NASCAR was heading in. I encourage you all to look up uh, his exact quote just so you get an idea of where he's coming from. Um, and if you haven't seen it on social media already, you should also look at NASCAR's response because it was pretty epic. There was some 
there's some shade thrown needless to say the two were on very opposite sides of the conversation uh and there's no amends uh to be made um it is kind of impressive though to see nascar sort of go through this revolution or evolution i would say sort of before our eyes and they're taking a lead in something we were to hope a lot of other sports nfl nba is kind of flirting with some of that where they're taking taking charge in what they're empowering their players to do um but i don't know if you necessarily see the league stepping in and making the changes on holding players accountable in quite the same way there's a difference between giving players freedom and then holding players accountable it could be because of the the players involved the things you have to deal with might be very different could be wrong i just think they may not be as vocalized on one side as they are on the other um but it is it is pretty impressive to see that that sport especially in the u.s is the one that's really taking the taking charge and trying to not only shape what its outlook is and what its future is but also how it's viewed globally and with you know within the u.s even if we remove global but viewed how it's seen within the u.s at the significant risk of losing a fan base because of you know the stereotype that sort of follows that fan base yeah and if you think about it you, you probably think all right what, like what sports leagues like generate a ton of money and you probably think nascar is you know i mean the tickets for some of these events are are they don't generate a lot of gate receipts right so how could it possibly make a lot of money but if we're talking about revenue for major league baseball uh last year nascar signed a 660 million dollars per year for a 10-year deal which if you're doing math and again not good at math that's six billion dollars okay and the daytona 500 alone brings in upwards of two billion dollars to the florida economy on an annual basis this is a ton of money for them to be looking at and you know if you look at viewership over the past few years yeah they're probably a little bit down just a little bit right so there's three big races in nascar you have the monster energy cup series the xfinity series and the great outdoor truck series um you're looking in the monster cup for example about half a million viewers less in 2019 than there were in 2018. Mm -hmm. In the Xfinity series, about 100,000 less than there were in 2018. In the Great Outdoor Truck series, they actually kind of went up a little bit. So you're taking a look at all of the TV viewership and you're, and you're seeing for the most part, yeah, there's some fluctuation, but they're not losing a ton, but they are on a bit of decline. So there is that question there like, oh, you know, what is the timing of this, right? You have someone come out and they make it very, very good pro statement and we want to give them kudos. And then there's another counter statement and you're like, oh, I guess we're going to have to just accept that, you know, we're going to respect everyone having their, their conversation and their piece mm -hmm. to say, but I'm going to go ahead and, you know, say this timing is, you know, suspect. Yeah. And I think, um, I feel like it's going to play out a little bit like the NFL, where as soon as NFL came out and started allowing players to protest, um, making some of its own rule changes a couple of years ago, following Kaepernick's uh, decision to protest their national anthem, all you saw was, oh, their ratings are going to drop. I'm over this. I'm done. They actually saw like a 4% increase over the last year alone. So nobody's really nobody's really bailing on it. I think you're going to watch whatever sport. You may not watch the next race after that, but at some point you're going to end up watching it because you're going to go somewhere and it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring you back in. I think the biggest thing that NASCAR has against it right now is the total diversity of the athletes in its league right there's right now the the three notable racers of any kind of minority are daryl bubble wallace 
uh he was the rookie of the year in 2017 the first black play, uh, the black racer to uh accomplish that and you have daniel suarez i was the first foreign-born driver to win a nascar national series championship and then you have kyle larson who's kind of a little bit of hot water under his indefinite suspension but when you start getting outside of that starts getting really fuzzy real quick right um i'm sure there are plenty of people more educated in nascar than than i am who would start firing off names at the top of their head but those are three of the most notable and you don't see it as much in in other sports like just teams owned in nascar by minorities or women there's six out of the total 36 teams so it, there's definitely a, a, a diversity gap that's there i mean most nfl owners or if not all nfl owners are are white so they kind of have the same thing but then when you get down into the player base it's it's not nearly the same discrepancy as you have in something like nascar yeah and you know we talked earlier about how nascar doesn't receive the same type of respect that like touring car races or uh, f1 races do even on international stage right and i know that nascar has, has tried to go out you know a few times and and kind of get away from maybe the Jeff Foxworthy joke that all you're doing is just watching people turn left at a high rate of speed, right? Mm -hmm. But I think with everything that's been going on, like for NASCAR to be able to adapt by sheer force in just, you know, 48 hours or less after Bubba Wallace made a statement that no one should feel uncomfortable when they come to a NASCAR race and, and seeing all these like Confederate flags, like they had a lot of stuff that was like in the works, but they were able to simply say, you know what? even though we had a 90% viewership drop from 2017 and, and maybe even a larger one from 2016 or prior, like we have the TV deal. We're only losing some like fans. And, and, you know, maybe we do need to call the herd a little bit. Yeah. Um, and for a guy like Wallace, as you pointed out, that's the only black driver in, in the league right now, in the top league, that's, that's really doing a lot of great things for the sport. Like NASCAR needed to do something. So I, I appreciate that they were able to flip, you know, flip the switch and, and kind of get it going. But in 2015, they put a policy out that asked people to refrain from displaying the flag. And then this week in 2020, they outright banned it just because, well, as we know, in this age of social media, like when you say something and it goes viral, it, it's very difficult to, to look away from those things. It's, it's one of those where it's difficult to put yourself in the shoes of a, of a spectator or athlete who has to walk through an environment like that. Right? You could, I won't even begin to get into the conversation about the Confederate flag or what it may or may not mean, but what it's perceived as by the people who are looking at it and the different sides of that, if you are on the side where you think that is an offensive and racially insensitive sign of any type, and the fact that you have to walk through crowds or places where that's proudly displayed i could see how that's keeping some fans away now what you may end up seeing is a, a small growth of minority fan base that wasn't going to races who no longer you know because the flag's not there that doesn't necessarily mean that the people aren't there but it's not necessarily as uh, overtly displayed there's a there's there's a little bit of a difference there uh i think you may end up seeing maybe a small growth in some of the not only the viewership because of the people who are looking at this positively but also on-site fans might might sort of increase in diversity i know they made some changes starting back in 2004 to try and encourage some of the the minority involvement it was a program called uh, drive for diversity its goal was to try and get both female and minority fans drivers owners sponsors and different members of the crew involved um it was really there to help push athletes and, and supporting members up to sort of the top ranks of nascar by allowing them to compete in both local and, and regional events 
they really wanted to encourage that sort of involvement across the board because I think it also recognizes that there is sort of an optic problem with NASCAR and that whether that's on just sort of the path that it takes to get from a you know small time racer to big time racer isn't really uh, as available to let's say you know a minority child living in New York for example or you know even outside New York if you're part of a demographic that's generally not afforded some of the same privileges or at least some of the same functions because your community doesn't have that level of support obviously it's going to make it more difficult to succeed in that sport which is why I think baseball tends to be extremely diverse because in poor areas where you have um, a lot of minorities you know Puerto Rico, South America, all over the place. All those communities have is something like baseball because it's cheap. It it costs a dollar for a ball and a glove can be used for 20 years and you don't even need cleats. Racing is a very, very, very expensive sport. And unless you have the support starting from the very beginning, you're not going to be there. The fact that as far back as 2004, NASCAR tried to help and get that in motion I've never looked at the numbers to see what it was prior to 2004 to what it was after. You can't help but think that it made some kind of difference, even if it, if if at the very least it was some form of like an optic change where you look like NASCAR looked better just for making that effort. It's a step in the right direction. And then I think coming into 2020 with all the changes that they're making now, now they're building upon a history of trying to increase diversity, which I think in the long term it's going to ultimately end up helping. I would agree. And I think that um, one great article that I saw from ESPN's uh, The Undefeated had a breakdown of the drivers that participated in that program you're talking about, Tim, uh, their driver development program. And in 2018, the breakdown was 35.5% white, 29% Hispanic, 21% black, 8% identified, 5 mixed race, 1.5 Middle Eastern. The gender breakdown was even more stark, right? You had 61% male, 37% female you know, and a half percent unidentified. So the the policy itself, the driver development, it, it's sort of NASCAR's farm team, if you will, right? And it says, listen, we, we want to put more of these these chances out there, get more people involved at, at many of the different levels, and then sort of grow the sport. And for a guy like Bubba, like that's exactly what, like, like where it came from. That So he is one of the parts of success for that program, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that same article did go out and point out that of the original 62 applicants programs, only three of them went on to have any measure of success. Uh, Wallace, Kyle Larson, and Daniel Suarez, the three names we already mentioned. It's not a real good return on your investment. If you're the guy signing the checks, you're like, all right, where's all this money going? And of all of those applicants, you know, because the amount of money that goes into the careers of those 62 applicants, even though they may be short-lived, not chump change it's in the thousands of dollars i mean it costs anywhere for a normal team every season between a million to 20 million dollars i mean uh, there's potentially part of the reason why there's been a little bit of a lack of success because the amount of money you have to raise for those sort of events and to not come from a racing background or family or dynasty it's really difficult to try and pull together those sort of resources without anything to show for it right like you have all of these these racers who come up through the the ranks part of 
you know, while there's no minor league race team, they're usually associated with teams that might have leagues who are teams who are racing in NASCAR. It's kind of your uh, open door or, or where you get your foot in. Everyone's racing these small tracks, but then someone's got to let you in. And if you're a minority racer and you're the first in your line or the first person you even know that is starting to do this racing events, I think it's it's a lot more difficult to bridge the gap between where you start and where you want to be versus someone, you know, who might have a lot more association that's there. Uh, of all the teams that are in there, 25% of the teams have corporate sc- corporate sponsorships from uh, Fortune 500 companies. And nearly 50% of the racing teams have support from Fortune 100 companies. So I think that speaks a little bit more to the dynasties that have been born over years and years and years of racing. That if I'm somebody outside of, you could probably trace back and see where a lot of these teams originate from, where most, you know, it's like looking at Canada for hockey. A lot of our best hockey players have come from Canada and North America. I'm pretty sure we can guess where most of our NASCAR athletes come from. Most of them are probably from the South. Many of the minority racers that come from there may have ended up in the South, but they're probably not historically from that area and found racing like anybody finding a new sport. Um, I think what they lack is, you know, the years and years and years you get from family development or like watching your friends and families racing. So you don't get the same skill development that you would if you were in some of those. And I think without either sponsoring additional races, like whether they need to come up with a form of financial support to help support. Yeah, some of these programs are great, but if all you're offering is a, a foot in the door, but you're not offering any financial backing or even, even in the, even call it a short-term loan. It says, you know, let's get you started. We'll help foot the bill for the first two years to help you build whatever you're trying to do and see where it goes. I think as long as it sort of stays in this, I, I don't even know how I'll describe it, but as long as it stays in sort of a, like a leadership type function where you have, as long as those 36 teams continue to remain intact the way they are with the history behind them, I think you're going to continue to see it unless you start encouraging those 36 teams to increase their diversity. You're seeing some of it with women being involved, but the fact that there's only three notable racers of minority, like Danica Patrick came in, didn't really do much. You just chalked that up as, all right, we gave him a shot, let's move it on. Or do you keep encouraging other women and other minorities to get involved? Yeah, I agree. And I, I think when you take a look at how long, like you were saying, it takes to really sort of build that skill out, uh, it's unique in the fact that if you are economically positioned to be able to spend money to feel the team, that you're going to be end over end much better year in and year out. And you're probably going to make some more money. And then you're probably just going to reinvest it in your business and your racing team. And you have to have the ability to drive the cars, but then you also have to have the ability to draw people to you and drive their consumption of whatever like media content you're putting out. And, and that's, I guess, kind of say like, there might be a lot of Dale Earnhardt juniors like out there, right. Who are big mm-hmm. fans, but there's not a lot of Dale Earnhardt juniors. So when you find them, you really have to develop them. Look, I think NASCAR did the right thing by banning the Confederate flag outright. Uh, But it asked its fans to refrain from flying the flag in 2015 versus now prohibiting it uh, in 2020. And I think that remains a sticking point of how it could could have been better. It's not like there hasn't been plenty of evidence about 
where America was headed or why NASCAR needed to act to sort of be ahead of the curve. Uh, it really didn't have a choice once Wallace spoke on Good Morning America and CNN. But I do give credit to NASCAR for reacting in the way they did. And when you look at NASCAR, I think what's so unabashedly American about it is the concept. Big wrecks, big personalities, big engines. And now we have a big conversation about it. Fans or drivers who might have tacitly endorsed the flying of the Confederate flag, which, if you're confused, was flown by a warring faction that wanted to keep other human beings as property. If the same people are now doing mental gymnastics to find a way to figure out that to justify the heritage of those flags being flown, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of just astounding. Yeah, I know, it's difficult to get into without having to like deep dive into the history of all of it. And depending on who you talk to, obviously, there's a different perception of history, which is bananas. We live in an era where science and history and whatnot doesn't mean the same as what science and history used to mean when we were all in schools. They all seem to be somehow open to perception. Yeah. You you know, I, when I think about it, I really respect the hell out of NASCAR, right? In the beginning I didn't, I was like, Oh my God, what are they doing? But now like, look, they did the virtual race thing. That was kind of a PR nightmare. Obviously there was some other stuff that was going on. People weren't really like as involved in the race as, when they go to a place like Talladega or Oxford Plains or uh, Daytona, they, they want to be in the stands. They want to experience the noise, the thrills. And now that NASCAR is back, it's one of the first sports along with golf, Tim, that is like back on TV. And if mm-hmm. you'd told me at the beginning of coronavirus, then this global pandemic, that the first two sports to come back were golf and NASCAR, I would have laughed in your face, right? But here they are on TV. They're wearing masks. They're conducting interviews via social distancing whenever possible. And now... They're taking a giant needed leap for equality at a time when other sports leagues are so caught up on how to address how they're going to deliver the message or if they're going to deliver the message, <laughs> NFL, or even how to open back up. I don't think I ever could have foreseen this. So props to NASCAR. And it's crazy. There are NFL players now that are going to races and they're now supporting uh, drivers. And we're, we're going to start to see the intersection of other sports yep. uh, in with NASCAR. And do I think that a primetime race is in the future? I can't say it wouldn't be. If I'm paying $660 million a year, I'm going to get some primetime spots. Right. Tim, we talked about the long series, the 30 for 30, the E60s, the best yeah. sports documentaries. We've been starved for content. We were getting a, a whole line of them. And this past week was Long Gone Summer, which is a recap of the 1998 home run race between Mark McGuire of the St. Louis Cardinals and Sammy Sosa of the Chicago Cubs. And I, I thought it was probably one of the better. Now, of course, we got the last dance. That, that's like the goat of, of all these uh, these syndicated series, right? But this was this was a this was a close second. I got to say, there were so many great things about this episode that I sort of forgot. Right, Ken Griffey Jr. He was in the home run race. He was kind of right behind McGuire, and then he kind of wasn't. Yep. Sosa came screaming into the race after June when he crushed twenty homers. Right. And I, I think there was a really good dynamic in framing the hulking McGuire, you know, against a devout hitter like Sosa. A guy that, like, loved the game versus a guy that, like, clearly said in the production, I was put on this earth to hit home runs. That's, I mean, it, it's, it's a great juxtaposition, but, man, it was a great, great baseball story. And I think the crushing part of the episode wasn't even that Sosa kind of came close to catching McGuire but didn't. Or that the last few you know games of the season, McGuire said he felt like he had nothing left in the tank. But 
you know, his general manager said, nah, you have to go out there. And then he amazingly ended up with another two or three homers, which kind of really put him over the edge and yep. it was sort of untouchable. Um, or that even Sosa was the, the season MVP and that the Cubs went to the postseason. I think the thing that was crushing the most was the fact that Sosa and McGuire since then have been treated by their franchises so differently. McGuire was inducted into the Cards Ring of Honor, and Sosa is not even allowed on the grounds at Wrigley Field. So, yeah, McGuire admitted to using steroids. Sosa has denied it, and he's kind of taken like the Pete Rose approach to speaking out about how the franchise is run. And they didn't really touch on that, but my goodness, like baseball, I, I think in that time, right, the post strike in 1994, they really needed a jump start. And I don't think they really care how it was accomplished. They just want to make sure they got the product back in front of, of fans. And that, to a point, they were probably willing to look the other way. I mean, there's no way you can see McGuire pre-home run season and then see McGuire in the home run season and think, oh, that's normal, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're just crushing baseballs left and right. And, the, you know, Major League Baseball was kind of like, okay, we're getting fans back. We're, we're driving the conversation. There's something here probably. There was even the, the story that came out about McGuire using Andrew, but that was sort of talked away and then kind of got lost in, in the home run uh, talk. And then, of course, once Barry Bonds and Balco blew up, then Major League Baseball was like, oh, maybe we do have a problem. Uh, and you can't put all that that weight on one player, right? It's, it's a generational, it's a systemic thing. But now we look at players in baseball, like if you were to come out from the Major Leagues and you were to have – you know, a good batting average, but then you come back the next season and you're just markedly better. The first thing people are saying, Tim's, Tim's juicing. There's no way Tim's juicing. And it's just, it's sad that there's just, there's so much cloud of suspicion that hangs over the game now because the game of baseball desperately needed like a second sort of at bat, if you will, to win sort of fans. And they got that with the long gone summer in 98. And of course, here we are 20 years later and we're like, baseball is like, we need a third at bat. And we're kind of like, for what? Yeah, I mean, it's. I remember that year was a very exciting year as a fan, but it was also a year of like mixed emotions because you, you knew you knew what you were watching. I'm one of those that I'm not a baseball purist by any means. I think they have to do something to spice up the game a little bit. I'll stop short of saying yeah, let everyone do steroids because that's a bit aggressive. But I'm also one of those that you know I grew up playing baseball from. A very playing a baseball i grew up playing baseball from a young age and the ability and skill that has to be there in order to hit a ball which is almost a physically impossible feat is not improved by steroids like i i give me all the muscles in the world i and that doesn't necessarily mean i'm going to hit a baseball can i hit a baseball further is my reaction time maybe a little faster sure but you were swinging a round surface at another round surface when you have like an eighth of a second to decide where you're going to swing at what angle you're going to come down on and what that ball is going to do and it is hard take anybody take any go into the gym find the strongest guy in the gym on all the juice and have him stand up for a hundred at bats he may connect with a couple of them out of sheer luck if they're right down the middle chances are he'll go like he'll miss 90 out of 100 at least at least so i have mixed emotions i remember how exciting it was you know i wasn't even a cardinals or a cubs fan 
but just to watch and see it happen. And then as you had other players start to kind of entwine in that race a little bit and then fall off, it was something where I was tuning in on games I didn't care about otherwise, but it was just not only to see, but to be a part of history. It was like watching Tiger Woods when he was really getting going. Like, was I a, a golf fan back then? No, but it, you knew you were watching history. You knew you were watching something that was going to be special later down the road. And that was the same idea with, with Maguire and Sosa. You knew, despite everything that you knew was happening on the screen, it was one of those that was just too fun to not look away. Um, just even I- think about how now, like the home run derby is sort of like, eh, whatever. But we had like an in-season home run derby yeah. where like every game you were watching, especially if the Cubs and, and, and the Cards weren't playing each other, the announcer was talking about who was ahead or behind. Like, it, it was just a different time in baseball. Yeah, and I I think they've made some strides now with the home run derby. I think you have a lot of power swingers. It's it's really not, it, it's, it's really hard not to get romantic about baseball because of the, the mannerisms that go into it, the function of a swing. Like, anybody can just look at a batter and know when they have a good swing. You never have to watch a baseball game in your life. If you watch five at-bats, you can pick the person who probably has the best swing out of all of them. There's just, it's a flow. It's a its a start and finish that kind of moves like butter. It's amazing to, to watch. And you got to see those in two different styles when that was all going down. Um, we talked about it right before we went on air, where you compared Sosa and Maguire, where Sosa's swing was just a pure power swing, and Maguire's was just a very close, tight power swing. It was all reactionary. It was uh, more closed into his body, where when Sosa swung the ball, it had a chance to go out every single time he made contact with the ball. Um, I think it was something that baseball really needed. I We'll stop short of saying baseball should have everyone do steroids because we need a couple more seasons like that. But <laughs> I, th- I think the overall strength and conditioning and training of players now is at a level where you're starting to see players like those guys who are able to get more involved. You have Aaron Judge, you have Stanton, um, but then you have small guys like Mookie Betts who gets up and, and you know, Altuve, you have you have little guys who are able to get out and make solid contact with the ball, and you see that a lot of it isn't the power that you need. It's just the finesse, and now we have the technology involved where I can watch you take 100 swings, tell you what four things to correct, and if you focus on those four things, you're going to be a much better hitter. Pedroia did the same thing. I mean, you had all these... Cody Bellinger is not a big guy, but puts balls out of the park, uh, so it's not all... Aaron Judge, who stands a thousand feet tall and two hundred pounds, it's it it it's kind of divvied up a little bit. I mean, is anybody hitting seventy home runs in a season? No, nobody's hitting seventy home runs. But it you're seeing more home runs on almost to the detriment now. I guess you could say a little bit because it's prolonging the game with all these home runs and all the scores, and you have the argument over juice balls. Personally, I don't think the balls are juiced. I know there's some statistics that'll tell you that there are, but I think for me, being someone who works in technology for a living, I think the technology that goes into 
practicing and training and working on your craft is so much better that you could go up and take a cut and then walk into the dugout two minutes later and see a full breakdown play-by-play -play, slow motion of your at-bat and the ball as it was coming in and you can make adjustments on the fly versus you know back in that era or before then i'm sure they had some form of video you can go back and watch but it wasn't nearly to the same level right like slow-mo was probably not something they had available where i could stand there with a phone and slow-mo your swing and make a couple of suggestions on the fly um i think you do have to wonder right like uh i mean i think there probably was slow-mo you just had to hit that the, that double triangle that was backwards on the vcr you know what and i mean hope, like come back the tracking was set right oh and hope the tracking was set right this is crazy if you're a gen z you probably have no idea what we're talking about but as millennials we know exactly the struggle yeah, to record guy, those games a, right as a guy who used to work in a video store i hate every one of you who never rewound your videos because i used be to be kind to rewind you. it's a thing yeah um can you imagine tim a scenario in which sosa and mcguire because like, we always talk about fantasy land like imagine that the two of them were playing in today's league with all of those those advancements you're talking about in the video part of the game do you see a scenario where sosa mcguire if they were going to go yard and just go in for a you know a home run race this season 70 72 73 nah that's like that's like kid numbers i think we could go 80 85 like which which is an insane number of home runs because you have to talk about the amount of pitching but like you said there's so much te like technical breakdown that there's almost no way that if you take a caliber of those players today that with that raw power and finesse that that they both had that i think it would have been bananas yeah i mean i guess it depends on which way you want to go with with the argument over juice balls or not um there are people putting out baseballs pretty regularly that are relatively average guys like cody bellinger was was fourth in home run leaders last year uh he hit 47 home runs and that was like a, a regular season for him the home run leader last year put out 53 home runs that's not a lot different than 70 i mean it it it, it is if you talk about a home run a game that's another 20 games you have to play but it's not you're talking about the total overall number that's that's not a ton and if you are someone who is just hit your stride and you are putting out home runs multiple times a game a hundred plus season yeah those guys would i would suspect that those guys are putting up 80 90 maybe even more than that in the current era if you took them in that season and you put them in the season now then now there are some arguments to say that pitchers who now tend to work out a little bit more than they did back then um are now at a somewhat better advantage because they're able to pitch stronger faster harder uh, 100 miles an hour is more commonplace now than it was back then uh but i think you would still see just decimation of balls all over the field um it would be really really fun to watch i think the closest we got was sort of maybe the combo ortiz uh manny when you know they had their two-year run where they were just back-to-back -back home runs all the time um but i the era of like one player putting out that many i think might be that, that, that might be over yeah it'd be, it'd be fun to watch now but i think 
I think those days are 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 by and gone, unfortunately. Oh, for sure. I don't think it really matters though, right? Because when you talk about what we'd like to bring forward from the past into the present as if it was like some sort of fantasy baseball, let's just take a look at the fact that uh, that Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred is pretty much standing next to our ideas of a baseball season with a Molotov cocktail right now. And he's just, he's kind of seemingly oblivious to what he wants to do about this league. So obviously a couple of podcasts back, I said something that did not age well. And that was this that obviously the MLB was listening to our podcast because they were getting somewhere in contract talks. Uh, yeah. Listen, put on your, take off your tin cap because it didn't work because we talked about how they're going to fleece their minor leagues with a take it or leave it clause. Then there was the 114 game schedule that was rejected. The 50 game schedule that was rejected. And now we're discussing even worse terms. Okay. It was yeah. laughable for the league. I think to ask, any of the players to accept multiple pay cuts saying they're not financially able to pay salaries because of no fans in the stands with gate receipts when they just signed a billion dollar deal, which you talked about in the fast break. Right. Yep. But now they're saying they have to deal with the fact that the players and some owners are an open revolt and they don't want to play. And per Andy Martino at SNY, at least six owners don't want an MLB season. Ken Rosenthal thinks it's at least eight. And the players have just been thrashing the league on social media in what's being called as a poker bluff by the commissioner because one day like you said he's confident there'll be baseball back this year and then a week later he's 100%, like 100 nope. he said <laughs> uh, when you when you hear the phrase 100 percent is 100 percent not 100 percent of what they're yeah. saying it's not 100 percent. it's not gonna yeah. happen and then you know five days later he's like well i'm no longer confident we're gonna get that oh my gosh just did you know as happy as I am to be binge watching this major league baseball season for drama, I am not happy about all the games that we are losing. I'm not happy mm -hmm. about the storylines we're missing out on. I'm not happy about the players that we should be seeing succeed in other teams like Mookie Betts, who I want to go ahead and just trash the Red Sox for letting go. <laughs> like we're being denied all of these storylines. And it's unbelievable because the commissioner just thinks he has outright power. And guess what, bud? You might have it right now, but the times they are changing. Uh, is this where I'm supposed to take my Red Sox shirt off and burn it because I'm mad they let him go? Because I'm close. I'm really, I'm really close. It's bad. Yeah, I won't do it. Um, yeah, it's it's so bizarre to me where we talked about it a little bit earlier in this, the program, but you have an entire league of players supposedly who are willing to play. Whether they're on their own, not giving as much as what they're alluding to, I, I don't know. But it seems like you have a player base ready to play. You just have a bunch of owners who are not willing to operate at a loss. And it blows my mind because, like I said earlier, like this should be prime time for increasing your user base. I, I your, your viewer base. I was looking forward to not having anything to do at night and sitting down and watching the Red Sox play more games than I did last year. You know how many games I watched last year? Three. Three games. I'm a diehard Red Sox fan. I'm a diehard baseball fan. Like two Those are serious games, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. As short-lived as they were. Uh, <laughs> like I have in my office here... Like legitimate wooden bats. I have three gloves. I have 
Terry Francona book behind me. Like, I'm a baseball fan, and I only watched three games last year because I have a four-year-old, I bought a new house, and I had things I had to do. I have nothing to do right now. Give me baseball. My son, the proudest moment of my father career so far <laughs> was my wife was out of town my son and i were in the house we had just played outside and i needed to take a shower and i said bud it's almost nap time what do you want to do dad i want to watch some baseball and i cannot tell you how fast i found the remote because if anybody knows a four-year-old you know how quickly they change their mind I grabbed that remote, I turned it on, and I found the first game I could found, and it was like Yankees-Orioles. It was some weird game that was being rebroadcasted. I was like, this is what you want to watch? I don't even care what teams they are. If you want to watch baseball, we're going to watch baseball together. This is going to be amazing. Clear the plans for the next two hours. This is fine. He says, Dad, no. I want to watch the Red Sox. Uh, And I literally welled up a little bit. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't even know if they're on right now. How am I going to make this work? And I went down to Nesson, and Nesson had the the games in two running. So we got to watch the game for the night before. And I'm like, oh, my God. And he literally threw his leg over the other leg, sat in his chair like he was a grown man, had his little bowl of Cheez-Its. I watched for about five minutes. I'm like, all right, bud, I'm going to go take a shower. Are you okay? He's like, yep. I backed out of the room a little bit and I waited because also if you have a four-year-old, you know that the moment you're out of eyesight, they got to call you for some reason, no matter what. The moment they can't <laughs> see you, they need something. I just sat around the corner and I peeked and I watched, you know, highlights from the game before because I didn't actually watch it myself. And I went up, took a shower, came down, I don't know, eight minutes later. And he was still there, mowing down on some cheeses, watching some some baseball. So going into this season... The thing we wanted to do was sit and watch some games together, and I have not a damn game to watch right now, and there's nobody to blame but I think the owners. Yeah, and Rob Manfred, if you're listening, okay, don't don't pay attention to our, our suggestions from a couple of pods ago. Well, pay attention to what we're saying right now. We need content to feed four-year-olds across America Cheez-Its. It's very crucial to our sanities and the future of the sport. You want to talk about growing the sport? Let me give you someone who's going to be a fan for the next 30, 40, 50 years. Go ahead and give us some content. We'll pay you back in spades. Right? He can't, but of he course, can't, he can't play right now. Might as well watch it with his dad. Exactly. Exactly. I also forgot that the series last year was uh, Nats Astros. I, I, I had forgotten that. <laughs> I thought it That's was. Uh, how much you I, watched baseball last year? <laughs> I did. I did watch a lot of baseball last year. You also I, haven't I, watched anything about baseball in the last three months then. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I don't have the MLB network either, which is, is cheaper than the NFL network. I just want to put that out. Uh, I could play course, some I could play some uh, trash can drums right now if you want. But Oh snap. And then I'll be like, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a pitch down. It's a it's a it's a fastball slider. I had someone crack it for me, that code. Uh but we gotta be careful because we go too deep and Alex Cora is he might he might know how to decode some of those signals, which I'm still <laughs> Still upset about. Uh, but not Man. as upset as Cincinnati Reds pitcher Trevor Bauer, who went full Game of Thrones Drogon on Rob Manfred on Twitter. A fiery eight-part thread in which he points out Manfred threatening to cancel the season, why 55 games is the range which the league believes they could negotiate in good faith or threaten arbitration with the players right now, 
when there could be a 70-game season. And he finishes that thread up with a loose metaphor, and he says, killing the goose that lays the golden egg is not a good thing. By the way, you should Google it. And that is the content, as Rex Chapman says, that I am here for. This is what I'm talking about. Why, why, why did you lead us down this road, Rob Manfred, and just said, we're going to have baseball, 100% sure. Now we're not 100% sure. And there's owners wanting to defect. There's players wanting to defect. We don't know how we're going to run. A, just, oh, my goodness. It, it, you know, Tim, we talked about top five movies last week, right? Can we yeah. just force all of the MLB executives to just get in a room and watch all of the required baseball viewings, like a league of, of their own and feel the dreams and stand lot <laughs> and angels in the outfield and be like, guys, hello, hand clap. This is where you came from. So let's get back there. Okay. Go ahead and put your differences aside. You're still making mm-hmm. millions of dollars. So let's work. Millions. Millions of dollars. But this is what happens when you leave a bunch of smart people to their own devices. These players aren't dumb players. You have, you know, we talked about Kyrie Irving earlier, and you have players across the MLB who are like, wait a second, I can either game this system. Oh, I'm at risk. Pay me all my money and I can't play. Darn. Or you go full Kyrie Irving and it's like, hey, the hell with this. Let's just create our own league. At some point, here's my prediction. At some point, there's going to be a bigger risk to the financial loss gain scenario of the MLB where a bunch of players get together and say, hey, why don't we just start hosting our own wiffle ball games in major parks around the country? Suddenly, the MLB's going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. People are going to watch you play for free. I don't know about this. Exactly. Or, yep. Or you have, like, Trey Young showing up at, you know, like, minor league basketball games and just dropping dimes on everyone. Someone's going to be like, whoa, hold on, hold on. Let's not, let's not give away all of the product for free here. And I think that's when you're going to start to notice a, a big change. I, I think Kyrie's out of his mind, but when you start seeing some of these other players around the league calling out management, at some point, someone's going to hold them accountable. He's going to have to answer for it. And it's very yeah. much like trying to see someone's tax returns right now. Like show us the money where you're going to lose all this or show us the books. We're going to lose all this money. And it's, we, we can't, we can't. Well, you're going to lose the money. You're not going to lose the money. If you can demonstrate to us how and why this is a losing season, maybe we accept it and we move on. Until then, yeah. we feel like you're making this up and you're just not making whatever your black mark is, right? Like, you don't want to go from, we're okay with not making it to green, but we just don't want to be red for the season. And you realize, like, Black Friday, the first day in which you break even is 60 games. Anything above that, you're now operating at a loss. Come on. Yeah, it's 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 very easy to think that, you know, but I, we can't say that MLB needs to operate like Apple, right? Because whenever Apple does something and, and it's wrong and everyone complains about it, Apple puts a, an update out and it gets fixed and they just move on, right? The it's major league, major league baseball is like, no, it's not going to happen. I mean, you got to think about it. They're on the precipice already. There's a lockout on the horizon. And the commissioner is saying, hey, minor league, take it or leave it. Oh, by the way, we can't attract top talent. Oh, by the way, we're not going to pay you a ton of money. Oh, by the way, if there's another pandemic in two years, you're going to have to take a pay cut. And at the rate this is going, Tim, 
if we had the long gone summer into in 1998, that was great because it's, it's uh, a baseball season of old and, and good memories. We are fast approaching a long gone summer of no baseball in 2020 or worse 2021. And I just, I cannot, I cannot stand by idly because this is so annoying. It's like, a bunch of two-year-olds got into a room and decided that they couldn't have more of the Cheez-Its to, to watch the games, so they're just going to make everyone else suffer. It's like, honestly, and I hate to continue to draw the comparison between MLB and my son, but my son does the same thing. When my son offends or hurts me, his reaction is just to get mad and go storm off and pout like I did something wrong. And I feel like that's very much where we're at right now. Like... <laughs> If you want to see a drastic fall from grace, cancel this season and next season and see where you live as baseball's or as America's sport. Uh, Spoiler alert, you won't be because the NFL is already nipping at your heels and the NBA is not that far behind. And now NASCAR is like, I mean, they're not in the pole position. They're probably in top five. But I mean, any given Sunday, you want to talk about someone making up serious strides like I think MLB probably got too high off the hog and thinking we're America's pastime. Well, yeah, you were. Okay. But when we close that version of encyclopedia Britannica and we move on to the present, you're going to get left behind because you just decided to do things. However you wanted to do it. You can't be ruthless and cutthroat in the same way that you were with Moneyball, in the same way you were with baseball in the, in the seventies and eighties these characters that you want to fill out E60 stories one day, just don't, they don't grow in trees anymore. Yep. You, you eviscerate the, the minor league system. There's pay issues that are rampant all over the place. Yep. What's going to happen is kids in high school are going to play baseball because they love it. And then they're going to go play football or soccer or swim or do something at the college level. And they're going to say, I loved baseball. It's not really worth my time anymore. And you're going to have no one to grab from the farm system because it's non-existent and oh by the way you can't attract talent ah, yeah. ah, oh man this is just it's something else tim this is obviously our favorite part of the show we got parting cheers here where you and i talk about the craft beer that we love and we're drinking and we hope you guys find it too so we're going to go ahead and give a shout out to the breweries that we're drinking right now hopefully you guys can find it near you tim what are you drinking this week i am drinking eager to share by Marlo Artisan Ales. Uh, it's a actual Connecticut brewery. I know we've been preaching drinking local. Uh, I have been intending to find some local beer. I just happened to come by some that wasn't. Um, but this brewery is a little interesting. Uh, the brewer, the owner, was formerly associated with uh, Kent Falls Brewing here in Connecticut, which is another one of my favorite local spots. Um, but... This particular beer, uh, are the brewery itself, they're still relatively young. They used to be, I don't know if they still are, but they used to be canned by the 12% beer company that does a lot of contract brewing and and other things like that. Um, they may be done on their own. I know the can says it's brewed and canned by Marlowe now, uh, but I know back in like March it was still 12%. Uh, but one of the things they focus on... Um, is balance and low ABV. Now, this is a pale. I've had it once before. Actually, drinking it during the show tonight. It's pretty good. About to open another one just to enjoy it. But 
It's pretty straightforward pale, brewed with uh, uh, citra hops and some uh, mosaic. Love, love me some mosaic hops, I tell you what. What is a nice little, nice little amber color. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Very nice. I see it in the glass there. I'm drinking uh, Bingo Lager by Bingo Beer Co. out of uh, Richmond, Virginia. Uh, classically crushable. Modestly modern. That's the tagline. I mean, I was a sucker for it anyways. Just I'm a, I'm a label guy, but yeah. it's uh, it's really good. Bingo Beer Co., one of those other Richmond, Virginia breweries is sort of catching some hype, you know, probably stole a brewer or, you know, a brewing assistant from one of the other big names down there. Yeah. But I feel like the, the loggers and pilsners like move that we're doing right now is, is really good for beer culture as a whole. Mm-hmm. Loggers and pilsners are so hard to brew, right? A lot of people can just put out crappy IPAs and people just won't know because they'll drink it and they'll think, Oh, this is, this is awesome. But it, like 60 days later, it goes bad. Right. But loggers and pilsners take like by definition weeks to brew and like if it's bad you got to toss the whole thing so i really go in and appreciate better lagers so cheers tim cheers quick little fun fact about lagers uh instead of top down fermentation like you would get in a lot of other ales uh Loggers and pilsners ferment from the bottom up, which is why if you ever do a brewery tour, you find the uh, uh, fermenters on their side so that there's more surface area for these to work on versus a normal fermenter, which comes down into a nice cone. If you were to try and do it there, the surface area is so small, it would, it would potentially take a lot longer to ferment. Check yeah. that out. Learn something new every day. Yeah. So if you if you have the social medias, any of the social medias, you know, your Twitters, your Instagrams, Facebook, go ahead and uh, give Bingo Beer and Marlo Artisan Ales uh, a mm-hmm. like and a follow. Crushable pale ale, I would call this. So if you're looking for something on the citrusy side, not bad. I got to tell you, even from like COVID notwithstanding, right? Like lagers and pilsers for the most part are definitely cheaper, but they've even mm-hmm. become so much more so. Like and now instead of going to get a four pack for like, Thirteen dollars, you get a four pack for like nine or ten dollars, and you can get like a six pack of pints for like thirteen dollars. Yeah. Which I'm all about beeronomics, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be drinking. This is if long gone summer was the baseball, we're gonna be long pilsner and long lager summer. That's what's happening. I think it's actually something I'm seeing across the board as breweries try to make up for lost revenue. This four pack cost me twelve dollars, and it's an amazing Ooh. four pack for that little amount of money. I think you're starting to see a lot more breweries. Like, kind of alluded to this a little before off air, but we'll we'll strike up this conversation uh, maybe going into the next one. But distribution versus brewery only. I think you're starting to see a little shift in that, uh, and I think the consumer is going to win out on this one. Um, I've already started seeing breweries that were normally pretty difficult to get my hands on before are now a little bit more readily available. Um, Modern times, they've always sort of distributed, but some of theirs that were a little bit more restricted to California are starting to show up. You had uh, Orthodox Brewing I had last week. Uh, It just seems like one after another, you're starting to see some really high profile beers show up in your local, we call them packies here. Anybody yep. who's not from Connecticut, but your package stores, take a gander. I, I always suggest going local first, but it's really difficult when you see some of these 
breweries that you're just super fond of pop up on on the shelf um but if covid life changed anything and and the beer chase becomes a little easier and you just go to your corner package store i'm here for it all the way support your local package and and bottle shops that that's that's the most important thing during this time support the small businesses all right so that's that's it episode four is in the books for stats don't matter we hope you guys enjoyed this podcast that you like rate subscribe share with your friends post it all over your social media please go ahead and wax poetic about how great this is and we will go ahead and talk to you next week and if you hate it let us know because we uh we're here for the the bad advice as well uh but let's just hope that's not the case but if we can improve reach out let us for know. sure and send us an email don't don't put a don't put a nasty rating on the internet because then we gonna take it back <laughs> we, we will fight you in the comment section <laughs> no 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 probably not all right thanks guys